Good morning, everybody. How are we doing this morning? Good. So this morning, um, as Brendan said, I got here early just to kind of center myself and, and prepare for the morning. And I, and I pulled up, and it was, it was this, this foggy, hazy space. Um, and I actually took a picture of it because I saw this fog, but then I saw the church. Um, and it was just a beautiful reminder, as Brendan said, that um, God is in this place. And so um, two things. Number one, I have a little bit of anxiety this morning, and I'll get to that in a minute as to why. And so I'm going to say, Satan, get behind me. And Satan, get behind us this morning So because God is here. God is real, and God is present, and, and he, Satan, cannot ever win in this space. And number two, would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your love and your mercy and your sovereignty and your strength And we thank you that you always win. And so, God, I ask that you um, study my nerves. I ask that you remove any doubt or fear or shame or anything that hinders me from speaking what you want me to say. God, we ask that you open up our minds and our hearts and our hands so we can be instruments of peace for the kingdom. God, we love you so much, and we thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Oh, so, a couple, it was last two weeks ago, maybe, I don't know, um, Pastor Matt and I connected on some things, and he said, well, you know, we're, we're um, doing a series called Psalms, Worship as a Second Language, and so when you, when you come to preach, we'd love it if you could um, preach on a psalm. Is, is there one in particular that you would like to preach, or maybe uh, Brendan and I can help you sort through that? And I instantly thought of a psalm that has been very near and dear to my heart for about seven years. And see, I'm already getting emotional. Whew. Whew. Um, and it's Psalm 84. Psalm 84. So we're going we're gonna to camp out in there this morning. And, um, and then after I said, oh yeah, Psalm 84, out loud, I immediately regretted that decision because that meant that I actually have to be vulnerable with y'all. And um, that's sometimes hard to do, isn't it? It's, it's hard to be vulnerable. But the beauty of this psalm is that the person who wrote it was also vulnerable. And so we're, we're in common space today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 84 starting at verse 1. Actually, it says verse 5. So I'm going to start at verse 1, and you're going to listen until verse 5, and then you're going to read along. Okay? Yep. Sounds good. Okay. Verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. A place near your altar, God, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. I actually want to stop there for a second. And if you have Bible or a notepad or something, I want you to circle, highlight, write down the word, pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rain also covers it with pools, or another word for that is blessing. They make it, the autumn rain also covers it with blessing. They go from strength to strength 
till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. So uh, this psalm was spoken to me um, a little over seven years ago. Um, My pastor at the time sat down and read it to me. um, And he was trying to remind me that I will, in fact, go from strength to strength um, on some sort of pilgrimage that I was about to embark on um, and that it would be worth it. He was like, Rachel, it's going to be worth it. And it was a beautiful reminder. This psalm is a beautiful reminder to me that God is good even in the hard parts even in the hard parts. But since I'm one of those people who can't just take words as they're written and say, oh, that's beautiful, I have to ask a lot of questions about it. Um, And so one of the questions I had was, I wonder why they wrote this. Why why did the author, probably David, write this psalm? Um, Yes, it's it's poetry. It's it's turned into some sort of musical uh, thing that we we have sung here and sung other places before, but there's there's this imagery and there's there's metaphors in it. Um, but but the thing I've learned about poetry is is that it's born out of something. Um, it's it's an experience. It's a feeling. Um, it's a knowing of sorts that someone learned some things about themselves and about who God is through some pilgrimage or process, um, because when we read this, we, we hear a confidence in which it is written. This person knows because they've been there. Um, so I started to wonder, what kind of pilgrimage is the writer talking about? And although we can't really be certain, because it is poetry, and it can be um, interpreted a few different ways, um, I think if we ask some questions about it, it can kind of guide us along to what he may have been referring to. And so the first question I asked was, um, why would this beautiful piece of poetry be significant to its original readers? Why would it have been significant to its original readers? And then the second question I asked was, um, what are the elements of the poetry? So we see a movement. We go from um, starting with, I'm going on a journey, I'm journeying, and then there's a place, and then there's something produced because I went on a journey and I went to a place. There's a movement, right? And so, so it makes you wonder, huh, what if we looked at the Old Testament, the scriptures, the, the first part of the Bible, and we looked to see what kinds of things would they have been doing at that time? And in fact, there are many reasons why the Israelites would have been going on pilgrimages. So there's these things called feasts that they would celebrate at. Uh, There was the feast of the Passover, which we actually celebrate today and know as the Lord's Supper, which we'll get to later on. Um, There's the feast of first fruits, the feast of weeks, W-E-E-K-S, the feast of trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the feast of 
tents or tabernacles or booths. I'm going to call them tabernacles because that's just a little bit easier and we understand in our minds what tabernacles are. So these feasts were put on in order to help people remember who God is, remember the work he had done on their behalf, and to worship God in a way that was honoring and pleasing to him. That's what they were for, just remember, to, 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 to honor and to to have adoration and praise, and, and it was like this time of big celebration, and it was a lot of fun, and, and there was a lot of joy in it. And so anyway, there's, there's one feast in particular that has to do with dwelling in a place in the presence of God, which is exactly, if you noticed, what Psalm 84 is referencing, talking about a dwelling place. And that is the, fest, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tents. Uh, There's actually several references about the Feast of Tabernacles, um, but we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 16, uh, verses 13 through 16. It says this. Hang on. Okay. Um, You shall keep... I don't know. Brendan, I'm really sorry. I gave you, like, wrong things here. Don't look at that. It happens. Uh, 13 through 16. You shall keep the feast of booths seven days when you have gathered in the produce from your threshing floor and your wine press. You shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns. For seven days you shall keep the feast to the Lord your God at the place that the Lord will choose. Because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands so that you will be altogether joyful. So this Feast of Tabernacles is a space where, where somebody, a family, gathers all of their people, you know, their, their friends, their family, their neighbors, their widows, the people who who they're pouring their life into. They gather them all um, at the end of the season. So this, is, this takes place around September um, at the end of the harvest where they're harvesting all of their, all of their farming. You know? So they, they're gathering it all together and they're going to um, give, a, give a portion of it back to the Lord because they want to be grateful and they want to honor him for all the things that, they've, that he has provided. Okay. Um, also, it's not just that. It's a space where they get to be poured into by God. God loves to party. And this was, this was a time that they could celebrate, that they could worship, that they could sing the psalms over and over again and, and, and pray and be there for each other. Um, it was just this beautiful space that they had the opportunity to gather in. But there's still a question that I had. So if all of these Israelites would travel from all over the place to gather, to celebrate, where would they all stay? And so I would assume that many would go on a long journey to get there, right? They're coming from all over the place, and and so a lot of them are on a pilgrimage. It takes a while. They know it's coming, and so they prepare for it. They, They have to... Get ready for it. Um, and so then they make these 
tents, as Brendan said earlier. Um, they would actually bring things with them to just set up as they went along. And then when they finally arrived, they would make probably a bigger one, and it was out of trees and whatever they had available. And so they would set up these, these tents or these tabernacles. And when I first thought about this, I thought of like a farmer's market because, you know, there's produce there. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, like, in, uh, in Holland, I've only been there a few times, but there's, like, rows and rows and rows of tents and lots of produce and breads and lots of people, and there's, like, those dancers, those Dutch dancers. I don't know. I'm not Dutch, but um, it looks really cool, and they have really cool outfits and stuff. And so, like, in my mind, that's what came to mind, Dutch produce dancing people. Clearly, that's probably what it wasn't. (laughs) So anyways, that's what I had in my mind. But it's not what it is. Um, It was was natural resources that they would gather, and it was trees and branches and fruits everywhere. And um, actually, if if you have your Bibles, there's some more information about it in the book of Leviticus. And we're at chapter 23. Maybe I got this one right. No, didn't get that one right either. Okay, never mind. I'm just going to throw a picture up there. That's cool. Okay, so chapter 23, verses 39 through 42. I must have been really tired that day. I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, okay. On the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day, um, you shall be, shall be a solemn rest. On the eight days shall be a solemn rest. On the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month, You shall dwell in those tabernacles for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in the tabernacles. That your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in those booths or tabernacles when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So essentially, they would travel, they would make makeshift houses and live in these tents for seven days and celebrate like crazy in response to God's goodness towards them. Um, And that is the festival or the feast. Which brings me back to Psalm 84. I wonder, there's just giant parallels here. I wonder if this psalm was just written um, from somebody who was coming home after a long celebratory week at the feast of tabernacles, and it's a reflection of what took place. Is is he thinking about that tiny little booth that he and his family created, the laughter, the jokes, the adoration, um, the, the fun that they had? Is he remembering those deeply intimate moments where he felt seen and known by God? And the overwhelming, never-ending, unceasing love of his father. And then maybe sits down and writes, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home. And the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. 
Lord Almighty, my King and my God. I wonder if those, that poetry just flowed out of him as he reflected on the time of joy and celebration that he had just encountered. I wonder if the writer continues his reflection of the week um, and also remembers the pilgrimage that it took to get to the dwelling place. He remembers the Valley of Baca. Actually, um, the Valley of Baca is, a, is called the Valley of Weeping. The Valley of Weeping. And so I wonder if the journey that he had been on had been a long, hard journey to get to the place. And, and the valley is dry. The valley is without water. The valley is, is difficult, and it's draining, and it's hot, and it makes you weary, and there's no reprieve. I wonder if he had also been reflecting, reflecting on a long, hard year before his harvest. I think that, think that we can acknowledge that there have been parts in our lives where we feel like we have been walking through the valley of weeping, haven't we? There are seasons where we are stuck. There are seasons of unrest. There are seasons of hardship. There are seasons of job loss. There's difficulties in school. There's unexpected sports injuries, relationship struggles, you name it. It's there. We've all been in those spots, haven't we? I wonder if the psalmist was reflecting on those types of things, the metaphorical valleys of life, the metaphorical weeping that happens sometimes on our pilgrimage towards something. But did you catch it? Did you catch that he says, as they pass through the valley? Which means, and you know this, the valleys don't last forever. The weeping does stop. The, the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping, will eventually come to an end, and it will be covered with pools of blessing. Pools of blessing. Which brings me back to the Feast of Tabernacles. So interestingly, during the last day of this feast, the Israelites would do something called Hoshana Rabbah. And I probably am pronouncing that wrong, but that's how I'm reading it, and so that's what it is. Um, Hoshana Rabbah. Essentially, they would gather and they would celebrate and they would pray and ask God for water, for rain. And they would uh, pray a psalm, maybe Psalm 84, and they would ask God to bring the rain for their next harvest or for the next season of produce coming or for uh, blessings. They would ask God for rain because they wanted blessings. And I wonder if, if the psalmist was reflecting on those moments of weeping, um, but then reflected on those moments where God had brought the rain. Maybe he's remembering how each day through that healing process, whatever it was, a hard crop year or a difficult year in general, maybe um, he was writing down how he got a little bit stronger and a little bit stronger Things got a little bit better and a little bit better until he got to the dwelling place. You know, the interesting thing about um, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths is that um, Jesus also celebrated it. 
Um, but in true Jesus fashion, he kind of does something super radical with it. Um, and that's in uh, John uh, chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. He says, On the last day of the feast, uh, meaning the Feast of Tabernacles, the great day, Hoshana Rabbah, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So on the last day, when people were crying out to God, asking for blessings, for water, for rain, Jesus stands up and says, if you need water, I am it. I'm the water. I know that the valley of weeping is ridiculously hard. I know that there are seasons that you've been walking in for days for months, even years. And they know that you thirst for more than you have. And I am telling you, I'm it. I can provide the nourishment to your weary bones. I, Jesus, can bring the joy and the peace and the relief that you are begging for, that you're crying out for. Psalm 84. It is a beautiful piece of poetry describing a journey with a deep-rooted sense of adoration towards God for an opportunity to go through a pilgrimage so we can find living water, pools of blessing, and so we can know who Jesus actually is. So earlier... I mentioned that my pastor had sat with me and read this psalm. Um, And at the time, it was a big deal because it was at a time when I was discerning a call to ministry. Um, At the time, I thought there were barriers and valleys that I was facing. And I wasn't sure um, if I was going to be good enough. And I wasn't sure if I was going to meet all the requirements. Um, you know, I, I had to go to school, and then I also had to be a mom and a good wife and a good friend and a good sister and a good daughter and all of the things. How am I going to manage it? Am I really called God? Am I, is this really what I'm supposed to do? And I wasn't sure, um, and it was a really scary place to be in. Um, <clears throat> fast forward seven years later, it's kind of ironic, actually. Um, I, uh, I said I had to be vulnerable because... If you know me, you know that I have to be, like, totally honest. Um, I had a release of call just recently. I felt God um, pulling me back from the place that I worked. I worked at a local church in Byron Center, and I was wrestling with it. And um, I can honestly say that it was a valley of weeping. I actually did cry a lot. Still do. Because it was a beautiful place. And I loved what I did. And um, it was super hard to walk away from. But the interesting thing about my journey is that it was, in fact, a journey and is, in fact, a journey. And you have to remember to create the tabernacle. We're, We're a community for a reason. Um, And so as I was reflecting on Psalm 84, I wondered, uh, what's my tabernacle? Like, 
where, where am I setting up camp and, and just having a time and space of reflection and worship and celebration even through the journey. And I was reminded of every single Wednesday night for the past year. And actually longer than that, because every Wednesday night, every Wednesday night, I gather people, my friends, my family, and we eat together, and we pray together, and we always also take a moment and remind ourselves what we're thankful for. Even in, on the days that seem like they're really difficult, even on the days where there seems to be nothing to be thankful for, there's always something that we can praise God for, right? And so this, these Wednesday nights are actually our missional community, which I know you all have here. Um, missional community for us has been our tabernacle because it's where we see God show up. Um, <clears throat> it's where we see God's love and justice and mercy and absolute goodness pour blessing over us, even in a dry and weary land. Um, you know what? There's a row in, in this church right now that has my people in it. Y'all can wave. They are the people that show up. They are the people that remind me of God's goodness. They are the people that remind me that there is always, always, always to, the, to, be some, to be thankful for something. There's always something to be thankful for. And so my friend, she's like my best friend. She's sitting there. Um, her favorite line is, it's going to be fine. And we joke about it because even on really bad days, like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine, you know, and I'm going to make her a shirt someday that says it's going to be fine. But the reality is, it's going to be fine. Yeah, it actually is. Because Jesus says, I am the living water, and I am the way and the truth and the life. I am it. And so my proclamation today, if there's one thing that you remember from this, is find your tabernacle. Find your people and be reminded that it is going to be fine. The valley of weeping does end. The valley of weeping isn't a forever thing. The valley of weeping is just a valley out of the whole part. I also think it's really important to be honest with yourself about what it is that you're traveling on. That's what the psalmist did. There were parts where that were really great, and there were parts that weren't so great. And I think just naming those things is helpful, not only for yourself, but also for the people around you to acknowledge, yeah, there are times where it's really difficult, but we're in this together. That is the church. That's why Jesus gave us the church, so we can share each other's burdens. Psalm 84, valleys, tabernacles, and the thing I didn't put on my sweet little title was people. Find your people. Would you pray with me? God, we know that you are good. We know that um, you have brought us to
to places and you've brought us through places. Um, And God, how lovely is your dwelling place. Our souls yearn, even faint, for the courts of you. Our hearts and our flesh cry out for you, God. Because we know that even the sparrows have found a home and the swallows have found nests near your altar, Lord Almighty. God, you are the king, and we love you, and we welcome you into this space, into our tabernacle this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Rachel. I want to give us space because God has spoken, and now it's our job to respond. God has spoken through the word. He has spoken through Rachel. He's spoken through his Holy Spirit. I want to give us space to respond. And then after that, we're going to conclude by singing a few songs and and having communion together. Um, So what I want to do right now before I lead us into a time of reflection is I I want to invite anyone here this morning um, who has children in our kids' own ministry right now. uh, As we kind of enter into a time of reflection, like uh, could we have just parents who have kids out there just sneak out? Get your kids and bring them back in because we want everyone in the room. We want the family together as we have communion together this morning. So it's okay to be moving around. It's okay to make noise. Uh, go get your kids if you have kids in Kids Zone so that our, our Kids Zone leaders can come back in with us as well. But uh, for those of you who aren't going to get kids right now, um, those of you who are can get up and go. Uh, those of you who aren't, like I want to just, before we move on, before we move on to singing, before we move on to uh, communion together, Um, let's just take a moment and respond to what God just spoke through Rachel, through the scriptures, through the spirit. So I just want you to take a minute and and just quietly reflect, like what grabbed your attention out of that? What what did God impress upon your heart? What what did he, what kind of emotions did he provoke? Uh, Pay attention to those and receive those. And then as you as you settle on that, like, just ask this one question. What is one thing I can do today or this week in response to what God just said to me? What is one thing? You know, I, I think of Jesus in, in, when he talks about the wise and foolish builder. He, he says, you know, blessed is the person who hears the words and puts them into practice. That's a wise person. The foolish person is the one who hears the words and does nothing. So, so what does the, the putting into practice for you look like? You, you know, maybe as you listen, you know, maybe it's like uh, you, you realize, like, I don't have a tabernacle. I don't have a community of people to do life with, to, to prompt me to give thanks, you know, to remind me that it's going to be fine. Uh, and maybe your action step is, I need to find a, a tabernacle. I need to find a people. Maybe you have a tabernacle or a people or a community or some expression. And maybe, like, maybe the Lord's saying, like, you know what? I'm putting someone on your heart that I want you to invite into that, to, to, to be people with you. I mean, I don't know what it is. Whatever it is the Lord's speaking to you, can we just take a minute? I think Brendan's going to play on his guitar. And uh, just before we go any further, what's God saying to you this morning? What are you going to do about it? Let's think about that.